0: Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from John chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. This can be found on page 1054 of your Pew Bible. The miracle described in today's passage demonstrates the glory of Jesus as creator and ruler over the material world, as well as his merciful provision for the needs of his people. A reading from John chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy
1: word. So lately, I've been getting asked the same question whenever I run into people, and it's how's married life? You see, I got married this past summer, and this past week, Graham and I just celebrated our four-month mark. (laughs) And my typical response when I get asked that question is pretty good. The transition has been smooth, and we're settling into our routines. The greatest challenge for me so far has been learning how to share a bed. Because you see, in the past, I had all this space to myself in my queen-size bed, But now that I share a bed with my husband, I can't sprawl out like I used to. I have to be mindful of sudden movements during the night so that I'm not jabbing my elbow into his side or kicking him. Thankfully, I think I've only slapped him once so far in my sleep, my sweet poor husband. But in all seriousness, married life has been good. I am tasting and seeing the goodness of God in a very new and different way through the gift of marriage. But it wasn't always that way. There was a time when I wasn't sure if I was even going to get married. For a long time, I had battled through fears, insecurity, and depression, wondering if there was even a bright future ahead. When those things that I held onto for joy and security, my health, my career, my relationships, When those things were shaken, it was hard to imagine a time when joy would ever enter my heart. But by God's grace, it did. And not only did he redeem so much, but in some ways, he saved the best for last. Last week, Nathan preached about God's abundant provision of oil for the widow and her sons. And he challenged us to think about our own empty jars Well, this morning, I want to continue on that similar train of thought as we look at the story of Jesus' first miracle when he turned water into wine. And as we read this story, I want all of us to ask ourselves this question. What happens when the wine runs out? When those means of security, provision, and joy are no longer there? Can we still trust God? to meet us in our need? We're going to find that answer as we look at today's scripture. So go ahead and open up your Bibles, and if you don't have one, feel free to use the Pew Bibles nearby, or you can follow the scripture on the screen. But for those of you that are going to read from the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1054. So join me as we read this story in John chapter 2 from verse 1 to 3. On the third day, There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Now imagine with me that you're at this wedding party where the entire village is invited, including Jesus, his mother, his disciples, and everyone's there to celebrate the love and new beginning of this unnamed newlywed couple. There is food, wine, music, and laughter that's been going on for days. But somewhere in the middle of the festivities, the wine runs out. Now, throughout the Bible, wine symbolized life, blessing, vitality, joy, and prosperity. Wine was considered one of God's special blessings to gladden the heart of his people. But of course, there are limitations, like with most good things, For if wine is abused or overindulged, it can lead to judgment and destruction instead. Sin has a way of distorting God's blessing, doesn't it? But with God's help, even that is something that can be healed, delivered, and redeemed. When used in moderation, wine can be good, even having some health benefits. And it certainly has an effect when we drink wine, doesn't it? It helps us to relax we become giddy, and it's good for the heart. Well, it's no wonder that wine is an important aspect of celebration in almost every culture, since it reminds us of God's blessing, abundant provision, and joy. So what happens when the wine runs out? If that ever happened to us at a party that we were hosting, it would be somewhat embarrassing, wouldn't it? We'd probably get by, and we'd brush it off, and we'd eventually get over it. But back in Jesus' time, running out of refreshments was considered a major faux pas, since hospitality was extremely important in the Jewish culture. Being hospitable wasn't simply an act of courtesy. It was an obligation to provide for those that were under your roof. So to run out of food or wine at a wedding banquet would have resulted in tremendous shame for the bridegroom and his family, which could even lead to legal action. That's how serious it was. You could actually get sued by your guests for not providing the goods. (laughs) So how devastating it must have been for this young married couple. Here they are joyfully celebrating their marriage full of hopes and dreams, and they're faced with this harsh reality that the wine had run out. We often dream of abundance, and yet we live in a finite world with finite resources. And while for many of us, it may not be literal wine that has run out, we may have had similar moments when we have exhausted and drained our physical, emotional, spiritual, or financial resources, and there's just nothing left. What happens when all your hard work and effort has come to nothing? When your means of security, provision, and joy is gone? What happens when the wine runs out? Well, this couple in Cana would have faced utter shame and humiliation for not having enough wine. But thankfully, they had Jesus and Mary as their guests. So when Mary finds out about this wine shortage... She reports it to Jesus, and he responds to her in verse 4, and this is what he says. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Okay, now that might not be what we expected to hear Jesus say to his mother. And for those of you that are out there that are bothered by the fact that Jesus is calling his own mother woman, this is one of those instances where the meaning gets lost in translation. So let me just assure you right now, Jesus was not being fresh with his mom, okay? But that term woman in the original language and culture is a much more polite and endearing term, similar to the way that we would call someone ma'am in English. You see, by addressing Mary in this way, Jesus was distancing himself from her to a certain degree, but in no way was he being disrespectful or rude, what he was really pointing out to Mary was that his time had not yet come for him to go public in his ministry. He had not performed any miracles up to this point, and once he did, he would be manifesting his glory, revealing the true nature of his identity as the son of God to the world. And Mary, like most moms who hear their kids giving excuses when they're asked to do something, does what most moms do. She completely disregards what he says and goes in and tells the servants to do whatever Jesus commands them to do. You know, I actually find this interaction between Jesus and Mary quite humorous. It reminds you that Jesus was indeed human. He had a mom that told him what to do and he had to learn how to deal with her and family dynamics just like the rest of us. But aside from that, I think there's something significant about Mary's behavior. Even though Jesus said it wasn't his time, there was something in Mary that knew what her son was capable of. She knew that he was no ordinary child. She had conceived him supernaturally and had received many prophetic words about his destiny. It's like that saying, mom's no best. Well, something in her spirit knew that it was time. And she was calling out in Jesus what she knew to already be true of him. He was the promised Messiah, the savior of the world. And by prompting Jesus to perform his very first miracle, she served as a catalyst for God's redemptive plan to go into motion. So now, as you're hearing all this, there might be some of you in this room that you might be thinking, well, yeah, It's Mary, though, Jesus' own mother. Of course, he's going to listen to his mother, but he might not listen to me. But if you go on and read the Gospels, you're going to find that Jesus listened to all kinds of people who weren't related to him. In fact, many of them were outcasts. Jesus encountered extraordinary faith from the most unlikely people, and there's something that they all had in common. One, They had complete confidence in Jesus. And two, they took a risk and put themselves out there. Mary took a risk of being denied when she made her plea. And even though Jesus initially hesitated, he ultimately did what Mary asked. Imagine what might happen if we all prayed with the same boldness that Mary had. We might witness more signs, wonders, and miracles in our day. And while God may not always answer prayer in the way that we expect or in the time frame that we expect, if we, like Mary, can approach Jesus with the same confidence knowing who he is and what he's capable of, we can trust that he will work in ways that are far better and greater than what we could have imagined. You see, that's what we find in this text. Jesus does something far greater than what Mary asked. So let's pick up the story starting in verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now, imagine that you're watching this scene unfold like a movie, and the camera is zooming in on the six stone water jars that are in in this room, a detail that we often miss when we read this passage. These jars that Jesus used to perform his miracle were no ordinary jars. They were sacred jars holding over 100 gallons of water combined set aside for ritual cleansing. When Jesus used these sacred jars for non-ritual purposes, that was considered a bold and sacrilegious move since he was violating religious custom. What this tells me is that Jesus cared more about people and relationships, like celebrating this newlywed couple and adding to their joy, than he did for upholding religious ritual. God is a God who loves people, celebrates them, and wants to enter into their joy. He is not as stuffy, as religious, as we make him out to be sometimes. Another important aspect about these water jars is that Jesus is pointing to something greater that was coming, a greater wine, and an even greater wedding banquet. In order to purify oneself, the Jews would have to use the water from these jars to wash and to cleanse themselves before God. The results, however, were short-lived, and they'd have to wash themselves again and again and again because they would sin, and they would become unclean again and again. When Jesus turned the water into wine, he wasn't just addressing the immediate wine shortage, but he was foreshadowing the promise of an even better wine that was coming in the new covenant for the cleansing of sin. Whereas water from these jars only washes you temporarily on the outside, the wine, which symbolized the blood of Jesus, washes us permanently once and for all on the inside. This is what Jesus pointed to at the Last Supper when he held the cup of wine And he told his disciples that the cup represented the new covenant in his blood, which was poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. And this is what we celebrate here every Sunday as the body of Christ. Every week we come to Jesus with our sins, our hurts, our needs, those spaces in our lives where the wine has run out. And here at the Lord's table, we receive the miraculous, cleansing, healing, life-giving power of Jesus' blood, the good wine. I love that extra detail. At the end of the story, when the master of the banquet calls out to the bridegroom and says to him, you have saved the good wine until now. The wine that Jesus gave people wasn't poor wine. It wasn't mediocre wine. No, it was good wine, the very best there is. And the reason why the wine is good for us is because the cup was bitter for him. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the Bible tells us that his heart was troubled and full of sorrow. He prayed fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. In anguish, she cried to the Father, Father, if you are willing, please remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus drank that bitter cup of judgment that was reserved for us, for the punishment of our sins, so that we could receive his cup of mercy and forgiveness. Friends, the wine is good for us because the cup was bitter for him. In a moment, we'll all be invited to this table here in front of me. But this table here is actually pointing to another kind of table that is coming in the Messianic banquet. Jesus' ministry first began at a wedding, and everything that happened since then will culminate in the greatest wedding celebration this world has ever seen in the age to come. Scripture tells us that people from all over the world are going to be there, from the east and the west, from the north and the south, to celebrate the forever union between Jesus, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride. There will be feasting, laughter, and joy, and you can bet that there will be good wine served at that wedding banquet. But until that day comes, we can still receive the good wine now that Jesus died to give us. So as we prepare to come to the table, I want us all to think about that question that I asked earlier. Where are the areas in our lives where the wine has run out, where the means of provision, security, identity, and joy have become depleted? For some of us, it could be in our physical bodies as we're struggling with illness. For others of us, it might be in our emotions or in our relationships with people where we feel the strain. And for others of us, we might feel depleted in our jobs or in our finances. Wherever you feel like you've exhausted your efforts and resources, I want to encourage you that Jesus has good wine for you. So as you come to the Lord's table, come with expectation that God's going to meet with you today. As you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, just take a moment to really savor the elements. As you chew it, envision the resurrection power of Jesus' body and blood surging life into your own body, mind, and soul. Releasing the healing, the strength, and the hope that you need. So come, taste and see that the Lord is good. For blessed are those who take refuge in him. Thanks be to God. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.